From WERA 96.7 in Arlington, this is Formative Tracks, the show where we sit down with D.C. area musicians and talk about the top five songs that made them who they are. I'm Eliza Burkhan. So today is our last episode of season one of Formative Tracks, and we are very excited to have uh, Amy K. Bormitt in the studio, the illustrious composer, arranger, vocalist, um, event producer, founder of the Washington Women in Jazz Festival, award winner, shall I go on? <laughs> you forgot pianist, but uh, I'll Oh, did I really? <laughs> It's only the that's thing. Awesome. Man, that's only know. the thing she's most known for. Yeah. Okay, whatever. She plays piano too. So, welcome to the studio, Amy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, we're very glad to have you, and we have cake today. So, um, if you'd it's like, it's a very festive cake. It's a very festive cake. It has lots and lots of sprinkles. So, if you'd like to help yourself to some cake, please do so. But then just come back to the microphone and continue. I will. Talking yeah, about this. and okay. I, I didn't eat breakfast, and cake is really it's just eggs and flour and it is sugar. Breakfast. So it's like breakfast mixed together and, breakfast and, and champions yeah basically a quiche right it's sort of a quiche but totally different <laughs> um okay so before we get to like how you got your start blah 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 i want to talk about the question that's always been on my mind which is what's the story with the k does it stand for a real name or is it like the p and alex p keaton mm. yeah why why is wow. it in there i had uh somebody asked me if it was for killing amy killing Gorman. <laughs> And I was like, yes, I am. I am killing. I'm trying to move away from like really violent jazz adjectives, you know, because I've been working with middle schoolers. Right, right. And so like, I'm like, that was, uh, yeah. that was awesome. That was awesome. I'm like, you crushed it. You're the bomb. They're like, what? The like, bomb? Destroyed it. And they're like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to destroy it. I'm like, no, no, you were great. Don't. Okay. Sorry. Uh, it's not for killing. Okay. Um, it is my mother's last name is Chrysley. Chrysley spelled? K-R-E-I-S-L-E. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So uh, my mother's family is huge. Mm-hmm. And when you get some Chrysler in your name, you don't neglect it. So I uh, I tried to, I didn't want to hyphenate and be Chrysler Bormit. So my brother mm-hmm. and I are both K Bormit people. Okay. We're okay. people of the K Bormit. Okay. Okay. No. And and are there other Amy Bormits? Is it like oh, how no. Brian Austin Green came up with a myth- mythical Austin because there was like some other actor named Brian Green and he had to do that to differentiate himself and like the Screen Actors Guild or something I don't like know that. any other Amy Bormitz. Okay. I think uh, most of the Bormitz are in Chicago mm-hmm. and uh, Germany. Okay. So, okay. But it's essentially like, it's kind of part of your last name. So it's, it it's a crucial element. It's a crucial element to me. Yeah. And it's out of, out of deference to my mother's family who I right. adore. Right. And they probably um, appreciate that. They, there you go. Okay. And uh, I, you know, I didn't want to be a full Chrysler Bormit. It's too long of a name. So yeah. And then what happens, the like, if you had gotten together with another hyphenated person and then you have children uh, and then be so hyphenated. They have like four. Yeah. Yeah. That wouldn't work. You just um, give up. Well, thanks for clearing that up. Anytime. Um, so, yeah, let's talk about your, your music career. Uh, you know, how did, how did you sort of first get started with piano? And was piano even your first instrument? Yeah, definitely. I, um, I had my mother, her mother's piano was in my house. So my grandmother's piano uh, was a player, is a player piano. It's still in my mom's house and uh, it's delightful. And the old school one where you pump the the pedals instead of just turning it on and pushing a button. Um, So I got a lot of early childhood workouts from trying to reach the, (laughs) reach the pedals and it it was very old. So, you know, the air wasn't moving as, as, as well as it could have as efficiently. So uh, it took a lot of energy to get the get the pedals to go. Um, my mother uh, was a music major, and so she uh, would show me how to 
played some things on the piano and then my older brother took piano lessons so I just stole all of his music and then eventually they were finally like okay we'll we'll chalk up the money for some lessons and um and then paraded me around for every family talent show so <laughs> which um, did you enjoy were you like all about performing oh, or like oh 100 percent, 100 percent. I um would like put myself on top of any chair within like a 10-foot radius of anyone who would listen and just belt something out or put on a play or I was definitely that child okay yeah. were you always when you're playing the piano were you often singing with yourself or yes okay. I think that was like my favorite thing to do mm-hmm. obviously was singing and then to get other people to sing with me was like the epitome of the most exciting thing that's ever happened. So my my mother's family is is a very uh, sociable musical family. So being able to sit at the piano and and dictate what songs we were gonna sing next was like so great for like seven eight year old me. So you get your like event production side mm-hmm. from her. Like, <laughs> you see it, making you this see all it. come together, right? right. <laughs> so it's interesting that you were always or often singing while accompanying yourself. Um, because when we both went to Howard University, because we were, you know, I was getting a HU, you grad, know. yes, I was getting a, a graduate degree in music education, and you were there for, was it jazz piano specifically? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I at first thought you were a jazz pianist, like that's, that's what you were. And then eventually, you know, you did some performance during a recital or somewhere where you were singing with, I was like, oh, I didn't even know she sang. It's like, she, no, she's sneak she attack. plays piano. Yeah, yeah. Sneak attack. Yeah. So like, how do you kind of see yourself as a, I mean, do you see yourself as a, someone who plays piano first, a vocalist first, or the two have just always gone hand in hand, but you know, you have to look, put the vocals kind of on the back burner here and there as you're working with other musicians. It's really interesting. I feel like every six months or so I go through some sort of strong revelation about about this relationship between do I identify as a pianist or a vocalist or right. what? And so obviously I just, I first and foremost identify as a musician and I think um, that's been something that, you know, the composing, the arranging, the everything, uh, the accompanying other people is all just, just being a musician. But um, the pianist versus vocalist thing I only recently realized that there's a heavy um, gender bias that I've tied into that, whereas Mm. I would introduce myself to men as a pianist and then introduce myself to women as a pianist and a vocalist. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So so go into that a little bit more. Yeah, so I I feel like there's, uh, within the jazz community, there's a uh, divisiveness about how um, normally men, male jazz musicians, treat uh, women singers right so like they're not real like not me- the, real musicians the band's gonna the instrumentalists are gonna play the jazz yeah and the yeah and the singers are just gonna get up there and be cute and right. maybe they were coming from musical theater or coming from church right. or coming from something but they don't actually know anything about jazz right and um so for me it was always like as soon as i met someone uh depending on who the person was but a lot of times um, my defenses come up and then I start to just like, you know, they, they want to talk about music and I immediately prove that I know all these things about music mm-hmm. and then I immediately prove that You're I like can... Sharp 11. Oh, what kind of alterations do you like on your five chord? <laughs> you know, like, like I want to talk about some some deep cut, uh, some deep cut Lenny Tristano tracks or something right. and I can go there and I'm fine with going there. But um, one of my first gigs when I moved back to D.C. after going to University of Michigan for undergrad. I, I was at HR 57, which is a now defunct, defunct right. jazz club right. um, that came out of the House Resolution 57 for the preservation of jazz. And I was there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night, 8 to 12. And 
for the jam session. And I said right. that the, the club owner there, he was really on the cutting edge right. of pronouns because he just called me baby. Oh. Baby. You know, okay. baby's got some, baby's got some chops. Baby's got some. And I'm like, Ugh, no, that's not my name. I'm not baby. Right. Right. Um, anyway, it was a great time. And um, isn't that in a in the Janet Jackson nasty song? Doesn't she say, "No, my name is not Baby. It's <gasps> Janet, Miss Jackson." If you're nasty, I think so. Yeah, anyway, wow. yeah, mm, I need to pump that more. Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, okay, so but going yeah. back to but with women, you're fine with yeah. So when when I would play this jam session, I uh, women would come and people would be very dismissive of of the you know the people on the bandstand would be uh, not mean, but but they wouldn't hold the women to the kind of standards that they held the men. So the men would come up and mess up and, and not play the bridge and they'd get yelled at, you know? Right. Um, but the women would come up and mess something up and they wouldn't get yelled at. And I was like, hmm, somebody needs to start yelling at women. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be Amy K. Mormon. It's going to be me. So That's I, your role, yeah. to yell at women. Right? Exactly. <laughs> My life goal, just getting mad. I was like, oh, so I take some women aside after, you know, after they get off the stage and be yeah. like, listen, you know, you missed the... You got to figure out what key you want this in because this right. key isn't right. isn't working for you. And you came in in a different key, and we had to change it. On the, I just want you to know, yeah, you missed the bridge, right? Or you didn't come in after four dollars; you came in after five and a half, right? Um, that kind of stuff. So there's always been within the within that community this sort of uh, dichotomy between you can either be a woman and a vocalist, or you can be a man and an instrumentalist, right? And that's exhausting. And obviously, I like to uh, play the play the field. I would like to be able to hang out in both territories. So, uh, yeah, and ideally, those two worlds will coalesce and yeah. there won't be this yeah. divisiveness well, and, and this dismissiveness of totally. females and gents. And a big part for me uh, of going to Howard was this realization that suddenly there were all these, these women vocalists, you know, who were just out of control amazing yeah super dedicated you know nobody yeah, was in the and practice room their stuff yeah. yeah i mean christy Dashiell was in the practice room more than brent burkhead and and that's that's an impressive uh number of hours right you know right. um just really knew their knew what they were doing and um i could play behind them in a different way um jessica boykin settles i always love playing with her because she's always doing some crazy stuff and you can 100 percent trust it mm-hmm. because she's not messing up right. <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> right. and sometimes you're like well is that is that a no she's never she's never messing up she's going for it and mm-hmm. so uh it really liberated me to be able to play for all these amazing singers at Howard and then to like sneak around and be uh, around that type of wonderful feminine uh, energy and knowledge and uh, respect for the music was, was something that made me start to come out of the closet as a vocalist. I think (laughs) (laughs) all these great metaphors today. You do. Uh, But yeah. Okay. So speaking of women in jazz, you are the founder, co-founder, single founder, single. sole founder of the lonely founder. the lonely <laughs> founder. You sort of cry in the closet at night that you, you've come out of, but you went back in about um, the Washington Women in Jazz Festival. So tell us a little bit, you know, when did you found that? What gave you the um, sort of the guts to go found a music festival in D.C., you know, a community that's already... Um, you know, filled with music. There's music festivals about every genre and whatever. What, how did you see that there was an opening for that and what made you feel like you were the person to get it started? Sure. Um, I had a couple of things. Uh, you know, I had finished at Howard University and been around all these women and had such a great time. And then I did uh, a couple of residencies at the Kennedy Center and the first one was Betty Carter Jazz Ahead and I was um, the only woman instrumentalist there. 
and uh, Christy Dashiel was there as a, as a vocalist, so we had a great time. Oh, you guys were there at the same time. We were there at the same time. Oh, that's fun. It was so fun. <laughs> we were roommates. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just adore her. And so, um, you know, I was looking for excuses, more excuses to play with Christy. And then right after that, I got um, accepted as an emerging artist for the Mary Lou Williams Festival. Oh, right. Okay. So I got to meet all these people, all these women at the Mary Lou Williams Festival at the Kennedy Center, which is and something. The, yeah. And the Mary Lou Williams Festival is all like a female-centric jazz festival. Yes. Right. Because yeah. she's a female jazz composer. Yeah. Well, jazz Dennis. composer who right. happened to be female. Hey, there you go. Right. Okay. But continue on. Happened to be the most amazing pianist <laughs> of the 20th century. So. There you go. Yeah. She's, you know, somebody that just, just is the full breadth of jazz history. She played uh, everything from early stride stuff all the way through to like avant-garde piano mm-hmm. duets with Cecil Taylor. So like super inspirational and as a composer and as a person. So I was so happy to be there as a part of that. And I started seeing uh, women that I knew only tangentially from the DC scene that were on the festival as part of these big bands. There's such a embarrassment of riches in terms of how many women musicians are living in DC uh, and especially instrumentalists that people don't really think about uh, DC being a leader in women in jazz mm-hmm. and so selfishly I was like how can I get Lee Pilzer to play a gig with me <laughs> let me create a whole festival yeah that's the easiest <laughs> way to do it you know what I mean we always go to the simplest simplest solution first uh, how can I get Christy Dashiell to come play on some gigs with me and right. and uh, Jessica Boykin Settles and, right. and Lee Pilzer and of course meeting Karen Chapdelaine at Howard University and mm-hmm. The they're all, all friends of the show, by the way. I'm just oh. going to declare them that. Declare yeah. immediately. Yeah. 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 They're the best. Right. I, you know, I grew up going to the Mary Lou Williams Festival and wanted to have this local variant of that where I could still have that type of powerful energy to be sure. able to work with other women musicians and build myself back up for the rest of the year when I have limited time to work with women musicians but i still find myself now after nine years of doing this festival now most nine of, years holy cow so next yeah. year is it's 10 your, yeah i was gonna say centennial but i think that's 100 years. it's my centennial <laughs> dude do you want me to make you a cake it's my, yes please make me a cake sesqua it's my sesquicentennial <laughs> it's your sesquicentennial. what is that like 250 years i, I think that's not anymore you and your husband also just started a record label, is that right? We did. Okay. We love structures. I love structures. I love to set things up. Okay, and the label is called? It's called Strange Woman Records. Strange Woman Records. Yeah. Are you going to feature only female artists? No, we already haven't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know. People call me strange, so I just I just went for it. Yeah, own it. I, um, and the music is, um, you know, it's not mainstream kind of we're not really going for like a a pop angle where Uh it's mostly jazz and improvised music Uh so um we started in january and we've put out uh three records now well let's hear uh fearless from your album striking So let's move to your top five songs. Top five. Your first selection <laughs> was Estate yeah. by uh, Shirley Horn. And you said that she, not just this song, but whatever she has recorded, uh, you know, her catalog of music is always a resource for um, how you communicate as a musician. Yeah. So tell me more about that. Why Shirley Horn? Oh, I love her. 
her so much. I can't, I mean, I picked one song, but like it could be any, literally any song she did. I, I love her, her arrangements, mm -hmm. which is the nerdiest way to start out a conversation, but you'll appreciate it. <laughs> I was like, we're nerds. We met in grad school. Um, <laughs> so I love her arrangements. Mm -hmm. um, the way that she plays a song, she sort of deconstructs it and um, she's known for playing things extremely slowly. Right. And um, Warren Shad, who is her, her nephew and mm -hmm. the founder of Shad Pianos and a mm -hmm. wonderful uh, person and musician, he was telling me a story about her um, and that they had this running joke in his family that they, she would start the song and they would like go pick up dinner and come back and she'd, <laughs> she'd only be at the bridge. <laughs> right. Um, I have some of her early records where uh, people are trying to keep time on the hi-hat mm -hmm. and it's hilarious. They can't. Because you, you can't do it. You can't yeah. do it because she's... She's so dramatic, um, but not in a cheesy way. Mm -hmm. And I think the you know the the inside musical theater Beauty and the Beast I love Aladdin plot line <laughs> of my heart where I want drama in my jazz. You right. know I don't right. want to just listen to jazz. Right. I want some drama. Right. She always pulls the best. You know the lyrics the the way she enunciates things is like everything is just so tip of the tongue and just it's sexual but it's not creepy. Right. And. It's just amazing. She's just uh, an incredible singer. And the fact that she's from D.C. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I knew her when I was growing up here. And, and you did? Here. Yeah. She would come to Ellington and she... Uh, did you, was it just sort of like a you met her type thing or did you ever work with her? I wish I had worked with her. I wish I had like hung out with her. Mm -hmm. No, I like would sneak backstage at the Kennedy Center mm -hmm. and like eat grapes and talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> um, but she was, you know, such a huge... Uh, figure in the mm -hmm. DC jazz community mm -hmm. and um, really was was like the first person uh, that Davey Arborough who's wonderful you know DC jazz educator and mm -hmm. at Duke Ellington School of the Arts he gave me her album mm -hmm. um, uh, with strings the Shirley Horn with strings and I went home and, and played it on my super killing turquoise and red disc man and <laughs> Um, <laughs> for our younger listeners out there, yeah. <laughs> it's a portable compact mm -hmm. disc player mm -hmm. preceded by the Walkman. Ugh. Okay. And can we take a second to just get your thoughts on Diana Krall? Because I love Diana Krall. Okay. But isn't she but, just ripping off Shirley Horn? Yeah. Okay. But I mean, if you're going to rip somebody off, like you can right. at least rip off like I mean, my favorite. I, I, yeah. I get that. Like everybody is heavily inspired, influenced by that one or two sure. other people. But, yeah. you know, when does it get into mimicry? Mm. And and the thing is, like, how many people know who Diana Krall is and how many people yeah. know Shirley Horn is? So that's well, the thing. I mean, like, that's, that's the sadness of marketing. I mean, right. You know, right. Capitalism. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk. About, but it's gonna... true. I think, I mean, both of, you know, the other thing that was super inspiring for me is like, Shirley Horn and Diana Carroll are both extremely strong piano players. And so for me to be able, like we were talking about earlier, to be able to, to do both of those things right. at such a high level and then also to realize that no one is going to accompany you better than you accompany yourself yeah, is a really powerful revelation uh, sure. for me as, as, you know, when I was younger. And I think a lot of people tried to convince me that I should step away from the piano and just sing up front and just... Um, Who do that. did that? Yeah, terrible people. Oh. We won't talk about it. Mostly oh. men. They oh, never man. know what they're doing. Oh man! But that goes back to what I'm talking about. Where you want? You, just <laughs> you have so many great lines today. Men, they never know what they're doing. <laughs> but go ahead. Sorry, men. <laughs> Sorry, men. You know it's true though. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening. To hear the complete version of this episode, go to mixcloudcom tracks or click the website in the show notes. 